Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. It's Thursday, February 25th, and we are going to get to the bottom of why municipalities have started to speak out against the 413. That is the highway that Doug Ford wants to build. Runs through the northwest of the GTA. So we'll talk about that, but first... Yesterday at about 11 o'clock at night, we found out uh, via the defense minister that... uh, Our new top military commander is voluntarily stepping aside after two months in the spot. He's being investigated uh, on unspecified allegations within the Canadian forces. Uh, Here to talk about it, Mercedes Stevenson from Global News. Mercedes, we reached out to you because you were the one that broke the news that our uh, former defense chief, General Jonathan Vance, uh, was under investigation by the military. Tell us what you know about this latest so we don't know very much about this latest other than uh, it's the same division of the military police that are investigating uh, Admiral McDonald. So we know he's under investigation by a part of the military police called the CFNIS. That's the Canadian Forces National Investigation Service. They deal with sensitive or political investigations in the forces, um, and that is who is looking into him. They've not released any information. They tend to be very, very tight-lipped, even more so than civilian police forces. Um, So they won't tell us what they're investigating. They will simply confirm that, yes, there is an investigation. Um, And at that point, he made the decision to step down voluntarily, uh, temporarily, essentially. The question, though, is how long this could take. Uh, We don't know. Police investigations can be days. They could be weeks. They could be months. Sometimes they're years. Uh, We don't know. And he's only been in the job five weeks. So certainly there's going to be a lot of questions, I think, for national defense. Um, The Canadians are going to want to know what the admiral's under investigation for, what are the allegations. Um, these uh, these particular police officers are the same ones investigating former CDS General Jonathan Vance on allegations of sexual misconduct that were first reported by Global News. Um, and they are also currently looking into allegations of a violent sexual assault that was reported by Global News and a commanding officer who allegedly asked uh, Major Kelly Brennan, who we interviewed, uh, for sex, Um, And she says that John Vance was aware of that and that Mm. this man was promoted instead of punished despite Operation Honor. So part of what you're seeing here, and I I can't say whether um, this relates to Admiral McDonald because I don't know the allegations against him yet, but I've been told that there is going to be essentially a dragnet that goes through national defense because there is concern that the kind of allegations that were made against General Vance may be more endemic at the senior levels of the Canadian Armed Forces and that one thing was being said and another thing was being done. I'm being told that uh, military police officers are going through emails, that they are hauling people in to interrogate them, um, that that this is a drastic change from how the military has handled allegations in the past. This is a systemic, possibly, uh, situation. Yes, and and I can tell you, um, I can't count the number of emails direct messages, calls I have gotten from women and some men in the forces uh, recounting situations with their commanding officer, with senior members of the forces, uh, sexual assault, sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, abuse. Uh, it's, it, it is overwhelming. And I think that that really raises the possibility that there are serious doubts about what Operation Honor accomplished. And even their own right. statistics show this when you look at them. Um, so I think that, that for many military sources who I've talked to, they describe this as a reckoning. 
um, that they think that this is the moment maybe that there will be change. They've had since 2015 to figure out these issues when they were first identified in the Deschamps report. But clearly there are still concerns that this was happening in a systemic and substantive way. So there's no protection for people that are in charge of protecting us. That 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 is essentially uh, what you hear from a lot of mm-hmm. them, that if they, if they say something, it's their career, um, that they will be ostracized or that there won't be a serious investigation um, or that the culture kind of blames the victim. Um, and, and they're very clear. It's not that everyone is like this in the forces, but there is uh, enough people who are doing it that it's causing serious harm to people who are protecting our country. Um, and, and there is I've heard from so many who say they feel this is the time they can kind of take that breath and finally say something that now maybe it will be accepted. Um, and, and I can tell you some of these are women who I've known for years. Some are women who I've never met. It spans all ranks that I have talked to uh, of women in the forces. Um, and it's it's really shocking and disappointing in a way. Uh, the, these are women and men who love their country and would die for it. Um, and yet it seems in many cases they really have not been looked after themselves. Mercedes, in the interim, who's in charge? Who's the the new top military commander? So it's Lieutenant General Wayne Eyre. Wayne Eyre uh, was the Army commander. Uh, He was a pretty prominent commander out west, uh, and he has been put in charge. So he is now the acting chief of the defense staff. And, of course, the question will be for how long. We Mm. have no idea. We don't know how long he's going to be in that position because we don't know what this police investigation is or how long it might take. Wow. I, I appreciate you uh, giving us the, the latest on what you know, uh, albeit limited for the reasons that you mentioned. But I know if anybody finds out uh, any details, it would be you and you'll be all over it on Global News. Thank you very much for joining us, Mercedes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Mercedes Stevenson, our Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News on the latest uh, with another top member of the military stepping down. Uh, you know, as she said, it, it's... It's just voluntarily stepping down. And we don't know for how long, but there are investigations uh, surrounding the latest Chief Admiral Admiral Art McDonald. All right. A lot of people in municipalities not feeling too happy these days. Municipalities that are um, that are going to have that possible new highway running through it. You know that plan for that new 400 series highway, they're calling it the 413, wraps around the Northwest GTA and it runs through several regions. I think seven to nine regions will be hit with this new um, highway. And it's, I say new, it's really been in the works for 15 years or so. And they're calling it the zombie highway because this is a highway plan that keeps getting killed and it keeps coming back to life. It's like, oh, we're going to do it. No, it's dead. No, it's back to life. I'm not dead yet. Can we have your liver? No, I'm still using it. Sarah Buchanan joins us right now. She is with the um, Environmental Defense. She's the Ontario Climate Program Manager. Just to give us some insight on how municipalities are starting to kind of, it, it sounds like revolt against Doug Ford's plan to revive the zombie 413 highway. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. So this highway has been in the, it was first suggested 15 years ago. It's mm-hmm. 59 kilometers, and the wind government killed it in, in 2018. It was resurrected by Doug Ford when he took over. And it, it seemed like you know mis- municipalities were on board this time, but it seems like uh, as of late we're hearing 
you know, Vaughn, Caledon, Brampton, Halton Hills saying, wait a minute, maybe we should take a second look at this. What exactly is at the heart of them revisiting the idea of having a highway running through their areas? Well, you're right. The The support for this highway from municipalities and regions is really crumbling. And the heart of that is is simply residents who live in those communities speaking up and saying, listen, this is going to bring um, some pretty devastating impacts to our communities, to our farmlands, to our local businesses, to uh, the green spaces that, that we you know, so desperately need right now, uh, particularly in a pandemic where there really isn't you know, much else to do except go sort of enjoy those outdoor spaces. Um, please don't bulldoze them. And so we've seen an unprecedented wave of residents, you know, speaking to their their council, writing tens of thousands of emails, making phone calls um, across, you know, York region, Peel region, uh, Halton region. And these these folks are speaking up and it sounds like their municipal representatives, at least, are are starting to listen to that. And yeah. you know, I sometimes think of these municipalities as as kind of the canaries in the coal mine, right? Um, they're they're there on the ground. They you know they're sort of the heartbeat of a lot of those uh, uh, local events and actions. Um, so uh, so you know, starting at municipalities, um, we're hoping also that other levels of government are, are going to start listening as well. I understand that Mississauga yesterday announced they had unanimously passed a motion opposing Highway uh, 413. Mayor Bonnie Crombie, we've got a call out to her today, and hopefully we'll hear from her a little bit later on in the show. But she wrote in a statement that it will encourage residential sprawl and increase our dependence on cars. When I think of Mississauga, that's all I think about is people in cars and residential uh, sprawl. So, you know, what has her so concerned? I mean, is there green space that we need to be concerned about in Mississauga still? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's green space, but there's also communities. You know, there's there's places where people live um, that are along the proposed route for this highway that uh, that people want to keep. Um, and at the same time, when you put in more highways, um, you also see more a whole lot more air pollution for folks who live, um, you know, within even a kilometer of the route. You see big health impacts, and as you mentioned, you do see more sprawl. Um, so you get more of those Walmarts, those big box stores coming in um, rather than having those, uh, you know, local businesses that are sort of at street level, um, walkable communities, uh, places where you can bike and, and take transit. That all kind of gets bulldozed out of the way when you have a big 400 series highway. Mm. So what we're hearing from a lot of folks is that they want, you know, their cities, their communities like Mississauga to um, to become more more walkable, more vibrant, more dense. And they want to keep those spaces that, that have that potential to become these these kind of more vibrant, walkable communities. They want to keep those spaces. And they and, and you know, for example, in Brampton, they've got a great idea for uh, an urban boulevard in Heritage Heights which just so happens to be right smack along the path of the proposed highway route. And Brampton's idea is to fill this boulevard with, you know, at-grade retail, local shops, bike lanes, um, yes, some space for cars as well. But the province came in and said, you know what, actually, you can't do that. So it's a really, it's it's a good example of, you know, Brampton's vision to build mm-hmm. Uh, a, a city, you know, that that its residents kind of want for the future, being in direct conflict with this outdated way of planning communities, which is to jam a big highway through them, 
put some big malls along the path and get people to drive everywhere. And to be totally honest, if, if we want to uh, fight climate change and, 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 you know, improve our health by reducing air pollution, um, we can't continue to plan our communities that way. We can't continue to, you know, f- push everybody to have to drive longer and longer distances to get where they need to go. Okay, let me just ask you about uh, how the province stepped in with regard to the uh, Brampton Boulevard you were just talking about and said, no, you're not going to be able to do that. Is that because the province has final say on rezoning? Because it sounds like you'd have to rezone if you want to even put in street level businesses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's been a plan in the works in a long for a long time in, in Brampton. Um, and, and, you know, the city planners have been um, proposing and, and putting plans together and bringing it to council. Um, but, yes, the province does have a lot of power to uh, simply override a lot of the a lot of what cities are trying to do. And, you know, you probably have to ask a city planner if you wanted to get into the legal specifics of what exactly they're allowed to do where. Um, but, you know, essentially, if they want to build a highway, somewhere they can. can I uh, ask you being, yep. it, it, what 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 changed the support for the 413 in your mind? Is it the pandemic and the real re- realization that you know some of us might not need to commute into work anymore. We might actually be able to work from home uh, for good. We might be more interested in spending time biking and hiking with our families. Is is that what has changed the support for the 413? Because there was a lot of municipal support at the beginning. Well, I don't know that there's been a huge change in, you know, the people who live in these communities, to be honest. There already was, you know, when when uh, when the highway was first proposed, there was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of opposition for these same reasons. And we're seeing that coming up again. Um, I think we're seeing it come up uh, faster and, and more furious, maybe because of the pandemic, because people are valuing these these communities and these spaces more. Um, and, and frankly, you know, we're also seeing it come up faster because people just weren't aware that this proposal was back on the table. Every time, you know, we uh, do a presentation on it or, or speak to people, there's always a bunch of people in the, in the virtual room anyway, who say, I had no idea that this was coming, you know, just uh, 500 meters from my doorstep. Right. And whose Um, fault is that? Well, I would think that the, the province should have done more consultation before they made the snap decision to revive this. And there have been consultations throughout the project, I will say that, but they revived this project so quickly after coming to power in 2018 that, you know, folks didn't really have a chance to catch up and figure out what was going on. And, you know, we're hearing from people who are, are stand to lose their farms um, and, and had no idea that this was even happening. Right. Uh, let's talk about the timing, because one of the cons- one of the concerns is that it won't, in fact, speed up travel times. And that is one of the uh, real selling points for the 413 that the province is pushing, that it is going to help uh, get, you know, cars off the 401 or other uh, 400 series highways and speed things up as far as commutes go and uh, and travel time in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was uh, there was a, an expert panel report that came out in uh, 2017, and that formed the basis of, of you know, why the liberals rejected it uh, a year later. And that panel looked at the travel times. They said, OK, what what would this save an average commuter uh, who's commuting across the region? How much time would they actually save if we put this highway in place? And the number they came up with was 30 to 60 seconds. 
And so, yes, that is an average. Obviously, if you live right next to an on-ramp, you're going to save mm-hmm. a little more time. If you live way farther away from where the highway is planned, you're going to save even less time. If you're a regular transit user, you're not going to care at all. Uh, so, uh, so this, you know, this number is an average, but it really takes into account what is going to be the benefit to the, all the people who live in this region. It turns out very, very little for a cost of, you know, in 2012, they pegged it at $6 billion. Now, okay, so with, who, who does it benefit? That's a great question. That's a really, really good question. And that's something we've been trying to ask um, as we look deeper at this highway. Because we keep coming up short thinking, how is this going to help commuters? It's, it's not really going to save much time. Are there alternatives? Absolutely. They could be using the 407 so much more than is in use right now. You know, it's uh, giving trucks priority on the 407, for example, is an idea that's been floated. Okay, so um, that idea, so, can so I just stop you? Because I really, because sure. you know how you said people are, are not well informed that live in the area about what's happening. Hey, I, I'm one of those neighborhoods that this is going to run through. So when you talk mm-hmm. about the 407 and putting trucks on the 407, would that be because I mean it's very expensive, and that's an expensive proposition that many people have entertained before. And the problem is, is if companies pay more to have the trucks on the four hundred seven, then we end up all of us paying more for our goods and services that we're getting. So, um, yep. if that's the case, are we talking about a little uh, exchange here on funds? So, the six yep. billion at a minimum that it would cost the province to uh, build this highway that uh, are groups suggesting that maybe the province should be funding companies uh, uh, or some sort of a break for companies that put trucks on the 407? Yes, that's okay. that's exactly what we're suggesting. Not that companies have to foot that bill, you know, entirely for just shifting to the 407, but that there is, is some support to do that, uh, to help fill up that highway more effectively. Because you can't just keep building huge swaths of pavement and then charging people a whole lot of money to use those swaths of pavement. And then, you know, potentially running the risk of people not using that pavement at all after you've already destroyed all that, mm-hmm. you know, farmland, ecosystems, et cetera. Which you can't um, get back. Exactly. You can never get that back. Now, you did ask, who is this highway going to benefit? And I yeah. want to go back and just and just quickly address that. Perfect. You know, something something we've talked about and we've seen a lot, you know, in, in coverage and in the news is is that if there are landowners along the route who, you know, potentially want to uh, open up, for example, a Walmart, um, this highway is going to make their land more valuable. So that's you know that is one uh, that is one potential group of folks who are going to benefit from this highway. Um, and in, in the campaigns that we've been doing, focused on, for example, uh, municipal zoning orders, how the Ford government continues to um, allow a lot of developers to, you know, break local rules and get exemptions in order to build things that wouldn't otherwise be allowed. There's been a lot of research that's shown that some of those developers are, in fact, uh, donors to to mm-hmm. the you know provincial conservative party, and that really worries me. That you know a lot of these infrastructure projects and approvals are being granted not for the people who actually live in Ontario and and live close to those projects uh, and need those jobs, but it's being granted so that these developers, land speculators, et cetera, can just make more money. And and it's not really the kind of planning that is going to help uh, folks in Ontario in the long term. So it's a scratch my back deal. It could be. Yeah. OK, let me um, ask you before I let you go here. Uh, I know that the environmental defense has been calling on the federal government to step in. 
What are you asking the federal government to do? And can they step in in a situation where they're dealing with a province and, and, and saying no, you can't build that highway there? What, what can they do? Yeah, so we're asking them to do something that is is completely within their authority to do, which is to do uh, designate this project, this hi- proposed highway, for a federal environmental assessment. And, you know, as soon as I say the words environmental assessment, usually people's eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, the province has proposed uh, their own environmental assessment project or process, which is a whole lot weaker than the usual process a highway would have to go through. So they, you know, they proposed, hey, for this particular project, we're actually proposing to start pouring the concrete for the bridges, uh, et cetera, that go over these sensitive waterways uh, before this assessment is even done, before we even fully know the impacts. So we said, whoa, hold on, put the brakes on here. That is that that's really dangerous. Um, and we want the federal government to step in and take a look at what kind of areas of, of federal jurisdiction this highway would impact. So, well, for example, oh, go ahead. No, I, I, well, it's not only dangerous. It's also a potential waste of taxpayers dollars. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, why do an environmental assessment that's only going to be completed after you've started building right. the project? OK. And you had one other thought that I, I don't want to miss here. Oh, uh, so, so you know, essentially just that there are areas of, of federal authority like uh, fish habitats and, and migratory bird that the yeah. federal government does have the legal authority to say, hold on, this is going to impact these federal areas and we need to come in and take a deeper look at this. Right. Um, so that's what we're asking them to do. I mean, so it's also going to... Would it, would it be um, fortuitous for them to find a bird that or or some uh, animal that, that is enjoying that habitat that's very hard to find another habitat for uh, or, you know, that, that is, is indigenous to that area and nowhere else that would stop this project? Well, we already know there are species that are, are threatened. Um, that the, For example, the red-side dace, it's a fish. Um, TRCA's report says it could be extirpated uh, by this highway, which is a fancy word to mean. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask. I, I don't, <laughs> yeah. Extirpated. New one. New Let's one add that to her. Yeah. Uh, some days that I feel like it could be gone <laughs> is what they're saying. No more. In Ontario. Yeah, okay. so it, it wouldn't be completely extinct, but gone in Ontario. And mm-hmm. um, so we have some reports from scientists at, uh, for example, conservation authorities saying what some of these big impacts are going to be. But the problem is the province doesn't have to take these reports into account. Conservation authorities don't have any say in what the Ministry of Transportation does. Interesting. So in many and, ways, and they already know. Yeah, they're getting less and less say on, on matters, too, in the province, that's for sure. Sarah, I have to wrap it at that, but I, I would love to have you back another time to talk about this because it seems like you see, you're uh, this is your wheelhouse. You're an expert. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate I, it. I appreciate your time. Sarah Buchanan, Ontario Climate Program Manager at the Environmental Defense. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, you can hit subscribe wherever you download your favorite podcasts, and we'll be waiting for you on a daily basis. Have a good one.